0: Today, the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast is excited to host Janelle M. Ferreira. Now, you have to know that I'm an enormous fan of Regency romances. I think there's only one of George A. Hire's books so far that I've failed to track down and buy, and the genre was one of the major inspirations for my own Alpenia series. So when a friend on Twitter posted a link to Janelle's new book, The Covert Captain or A Marriage of Equals, I was on it as fast as the proverbial duck on a June bug. And even before I'd gotten my hands on the book, I'd signed her up to be a guest on this podcast. Welcome, Janelle.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is my first podcast.
0: (laughs) So why don't we begin with you giving a synopsis of the book and talking a little bit about how you came to write it.
1: Okay. So The Covert Captain uh, takes place in 1822 when uh, the Napoleonic Wars are good and over and everyone's wondering what to do with their lives. Captain Nathaniel Fleming is a guest at his major's country house, and there he meets the major's sister, Harriet. And so he's got the background of long friendship uh, with the major that he's shared many campaigns with, and he meets this new person, and uh, Harriet is 28 and is not really keen on male guests and has some secrets of her own and some fun hobbies. And so the book is... I would say the first half is Harriet and Captain Nathaniel's romance and then, spoiler, the second half of the book is uh, that Nathaniel is actually Nora. Nora has managed to hide her gender through campaign, which is actually pretty plausible, more plausible than you'd think. So they fall in love, a big secret is revealed they do get a happily ever after because it's a Regency romance and that's important. Yes. Truth
0: in advertising as it were. Yeah.
1: Yes. I wrote the book because at the time I started writing it, which is not the time it was published, there wasn't a lot of female, historic, female, female, or a historical romance. And uh, I just really wanted to read it. So I wrote it.
0: that That's how so many that's books true. get started. <laughs> so why the Regency in particular?
1: I love Georgia at hire and I, Uh, I had a very convalescent sort of childhood and early young adulthood, and I read lots and lots of books. I was essentially raised by 19th century England for (laughs) good or Ill. So I got through all of those, and then I looked around higher, and then also sort of what's being written as far as het regency romance, and there just, there wasn't any of me, and I didn't get these swashbuckles and these cotillions, and I, I wanted something that my wife and I could read and yeah, no, the Regency is just a favorite because there's such confections. There's such confections. I wanted one too.
0: Yep. So I was poking around in your, um, Amazon and Goodreads listing and this is not your first book. I turned up two other items that were listed there. One is uh, a verse from Babylon, which is set in a Jewish community in Lithuania in World War II. And that one looks like it has some queer content as well.
1: It really does. I can't avoid queer content. It always turns up when I write. And it is the story of the repertory theater company of the Vilna Ghetto during the Holocaust. It is the thing that I have spent the most research time on because these people are not super fictional, they're fictionalized, but they're based on real people and they weren't around to tell their own stories because, of course, they were murdered. Um, And so I actually, I went to Lithuania when I was younger and sprier and did a lot of research there and one of my degrees is actually in Near Eastern and Judaic studies and so the book was partly sort of the ability creating the ability for me to act as a psychopomp for some of these people whose stories were never resolved and so in my mind weren't, you know, at peace, although that's just me being silly. And partly, I had this degree and I might as well go flex it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and
0: and we should probably make sure that our listeners know that that one, given the setting, is not a happy ending.
1: No, I actually, people are still surprised by that though. And my wife was actually like mortally offended because we were dating when I wrote it. And she read the first draft and she said, Everybody dies in this book. And I said, But I said that in the introduction rocks <laughs> fall, everybody dies. <laughs> um, not rocks, Nazis, but same. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and, and I got the, uh, I have picked up from your Twitter feed that you are Jewish yourself, that you have this background.
1: I am. It used to be super dewy, and then I found out that I like girls and pants pretty much at the same time in my life in high school. Like I knew there was something a little bit different about me, and I wasn't quite happy with my life the way it was. And then in high school it was pointed out to me that, and this was in the early 90s, so we've come a long way even since then, <laughs> but it was pointed out to me that you could like girls.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I got very excited, <laughs> and I've had a girlfriend ever since. <laughs> And I like wearing jeans, and I like uh, praying in public. So, you know, I'm a much happier person. But there's a there's a Jewish expression, to be on the derech, which means to be on the, the path. And it's used in the sense mostly of religious orthodoxy. But I like to say that I am sort of balancing on an odd little derech of my own, because now I have, you know, a wife and a child and a career. And it's both, it, it both is and isn't the proper life and the life I had imagined, but it is exactly my life and, and I'm very pleased with it. Ah. So.
0: And then the, the other story that I turned up, uh, it looks like it's maybe a short story, a novelette uh, called Dramatis Personae.
1: It is. It's a novelette. Novelette is the word that the cool kids are using now. And I really like it. Um, it <laughs> used to just be a novella and it is about two mask makers who live Uh, in a city that is sort of Chicago and sort of out of all Chicagos and slightly to the right or left. It's uh, my first foray into speculative fiction. Because these people make masks, they wear masks. And so I was also trying to play a lot with the concept of bodies and gender and who we love. Uh, and it was also just a chance for me to get some historical nerdery in across a bunch of eras. Um, one of the mask makers is originally from Elizabethan England, and one is from ancient Egypt. So uh, it's definitely escapist, uh, and I you know I had a great time writing it.
0: So when researching historically set fiction, what are some of the, the biggest challenges that you found? Let's get back to uh, The Covert Captain. I mean, obviously, anybody writing Regency romances can pick up a lot of the superficial history just from reading the genre, but uh, where did you go to really ground your story in in the history for this particular story?
1: For this particular story, I definitely wanted to look at all the places where queer people, uh, gay and lesbian people and bisexual people weren't. Transgender is tricky too because Everybody sort of was living their own life and sexual mores were very different and all these people are dead and so you don't want to assign anybody an identity they may not have had. Um, Which comes up with Fleming who dresses the man and has a male career, um, but I think she would think of herself as a lesbian. She's into the girls. So I I researched Molly houses and different aspects of the, the queer community around St. James's Park in England. Uh, which coincidentally is also kind of near where all the Jewish people lived, uh, in Aldgate. So you had all these interesting social elements in one place, and I wish I had written down better-cited sources, but one of them is the National Trust in the UK has a whole website on queer history, and then they cite their sources, unlike me, Bad Scholar, and there are pages and pages about people's identity, and Molly Houses, and the Ladies of Shangoshan, Yes, I had to look up how to say that, but I wasn't going to do a podcast with uh, a (laughs) linguistics uh, expert and and not say Shangoshen semi-properly. So it's all there in the ways that we're not there. And I'm actually going to use a weird example, not weird, I'm going to use an example from my childhood. One of the most English books of all time, Ballet Shoes by uh, Noel Stratfield. Uh There are two tutors in this book, Dr. Jakes and Dr. Smith, and they are both women. And they lived together uh, as boarders in a large house in the Cromwell Road. And it took me until I was about nine, having owned this copy and loved it to death of this book since I was about four. Oh, Dr. Jakes and Dr. Smith. Uh, I get, oh, oh. And so this was the first time I, I sort of learned to pick us out of the text, even you know, if it wasn't explicitly stated. And that's sort of a direct line for me to Ann Lister.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: thankfully, Ann Lister's diary has just, you know, recently, semi-recently come out, translated, so I didn't have to learn ancient Greek. And so you've got Ann Lister, who hung out with the ladies of Sengotchen, which was another reason that it was a regency, that if I do a, if I do a second book, they're totally all going to cameo at the most interesting dinner party of all time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it yeah. would um, have to be in Sengotchen because they never left, you know. So.
1: It's true. But, I mean, they had dogs. Yep. You know, there was companionship, but that's, you know, I'll get them there somehow. Yep. I also did a lot of research on early medicine, uh, particularly what was effective about early medicine, which was so often in the purview of women, essentially herbology, but there are a lot of tinctures and mixtures and salves and ointments that came directly from women's kitchens, but actually work quite well. And so for that, I did some research basically in you know, NIH and the Mutter Museum in Philadelphia, and, you know, just poked around what people did to feel better and survive in areas where, you know, there were nasty things in the dirt, and there were nasty smells in the air that were making you sick, obviously. Um, so.
0: And speaking of, of medicine, one of the things I really liked how you handled in The Covert Captain was essentially, we'll call it PTSD, was the, the way that the... the returning soldiers were dealing with the horrors of the war and the things that they had had to do and the way it it you know it would hang over your life and affect your relationships
1: it's true and they called it nostalgia around the crimean war and i don't know that they had a name for it when they came back from the napoleonic wars but they knew that something was going on but the thing is i don't think they cared i that i think that it was very much a badge of manhood as it was probably up through World War I, to just, you know, get over yourself and get on. But that didn't really lead to functional relationships and it led to a lot of drinking and a lot of semi-honorably shooting oneself. And that was just, I wanted to address it because as confectionary as Regency romances are, you can't bring someone back from a war and have them functionally fall in love with someone. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually, there are a ton of of diaries from Waterloo, and I think the ones I looked at most were Paget, who lost his leg. Uh, the one who said, uh, "By God, sir, I've lost my leg," and his superior looked across at him and said, "By God, sir, so you have." Which is sort of the attitude to war injuries in a nutshell that you find in that time period. Yeah. And so he came home with that leg, and I found out that you know some of his family too were missing hands, and they sort of they they got on with it, but. I was really intrigued by what you bring back from the war.
0: Yeah, and it's tricky to to portray that sort of thing, both in a historical context where the modern reader can recognize it and engage with it, but where you aren't bringing those modern attitudes into the story itself. And that leads nicely into the portrayal of sexuality. So what were your challenges in creating these characters in a way that both connects with the modern reader and is true to their own
1: time. I really tried hard, again, not to give anybody an identity that I would understand, but they wouldn't. You had a lot of, Farrah Mendelssohn's Regencies are actually great at this. You have a lot of really intense female friendships because social interaction was so stratified by binary gender at the time. And so nobody really thought weirdly of you if you were a female-bodied person kissing your female-bodied friend, unless you were married, in which case, do it in your boudoir, or, you know, just mm-hmm. not at the ball. So I I think it, the, the biggest challenge was not using terminology or attitudes that I know are mine from my own gender and sexuality research, and also just making it okay that Fleming gets the ladies. Like, Captain Fleming has a girl in every port until she meets Harry, and settles down. And I think the tactic I went with was just don't have anybody feel that it's remarkable that this person always has somebody because, you know, they're talented and cute and they're on a horse. Horses <laughs> count for a lot. <laughs> they do. <laughs> and with Harry, Harriet, one of my friends came up with this amazing phrase and she said, I really like that you pointed out really subtly, that it wasn't Harry's first time on the merry-go-round. And, you know, she said it in print. It's M-A-R-Y, merry-go-round. And I'm like, (laughs) A, you're a sick person, and B, that's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I I
0: really liked that point. And, you know, I, I don't think we're giving away any spoilers to say that, you know, of course, the two characters end up in a sexual relationship. But there was a point early on where I'm thinking where did Harriet learn how to do this? And then you yeah. answered the question and that really was, yeah. was a nice point.
1: Yeah. It's it's just, you know, people are, people are getting up to stuff all the time. Um, in my first book, people were like, people are having sex during the Holocaust. And I'm like, well, if I was well. under extreme <laughs> duress, I would have a lot of sex. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> it's, it's part escapism and part human nature. And so, You've got a soldier who comes back from the war and the covert captain who literally can't sleep at night and has a lot of trouble being in her own skin. And as soon as she finds somebody to share a space comfortably with, I, I think that she is going to try to make that connection.
0: Uh-huh. And then deal with the consequences.
1: Yes, big consequences, but they do get dealt with.
0: So... Have you always been interested in history and historical research? Well, I mean, given you mentioned what your what your uh, academic research was in, so I, I guess the answer is yes. Uh, yes. But uh, talk about your background in uh, just just being a history fanatic.
1: Ah, uh, like I said, I was raised by nineteenth century England, and then around, you know, secret. Whenever you read The Secret Garden, I became aware of the Raj, and then sort of had to delve into well you read the children of green Know and where does ping come from ping is a refugee child Mm -hmm. and where do the attitudes about ping come from and where do francis hogsons burnett's attitudes about the raj come from and so my childhood reading became my high school and college deep dive into british empire and colonialism and how everybody was related to everybody over you know many continents and then i sort of became passionately interested in the fact that every war is a knock-on from some white guy's decisions in the last war. Uh-huh. And uh, so I just could not put the history down. I ended up with a yeah a near, a degree in Near Eastern and Judaic Studies pretty much up through the creation of modern Israel. Uh, and then I sort of tailed off. Um, but I'm also one of my degrees is in creative writing. I have many superfluous degrees. I'm sorry, I'm a nerd. (laughs) Yeah, well, Um, you're
0: talking to somebody who got a bachelor's in zoology and then a PhD in linguistics, so I I can understand the scattershot thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, and I also, I was interested in medicine for a hot second there until I realized that my my frail uh, physical encasing couldn't handle the rigors. Um, Hmm. So history of medicine is also a big deal for me. But no, I just never stopped reading and the more you read historical fiction for me the more i want to understand the underpinnings and okay.
0: the motivations yeah i mean for the regency setting there's that the whole issue of why is it such a big draw for for fiction what you know what is it about the regency and it and in part it's you know several very uh, impressive um, you know authors who have who have popularized it but but you know, what is it about that historic nexus that makes it such a rich setting for stories? And, and, and of course that's true of many other times and places as well.
1: Um, for me, I think the Regency is so great because it is the intersection of, it, it really depends what you love. You have mm, slightly close to modern cuisine at your parties. You have recognizable clothing that still looks fancy and refined. And you have the beginnings of modern plumbing. Um, which is why I think there aren't that many romances. There are some. There aren't that many romances set around the time of the Norman Conquest. Um, well, well, okay,
0: that's not true. Because, you know, there's an entire genre of, you know, Norman Saxon romantic rom- romances, you know. Just because of the culture clash thing.
1: I hadn't thought of that. I was totally down with the, well, they had toothpicks but i'm not sure what else they had <laughs> so it's like i don't i don't know that i want to kiss someone in norman britain um norman england so i think yeah i think the regency is the first time it can all come together and literally be tied uh with a velvet bow and i think we just can't get enough of that plus horses
0: <laughs> uh yeah and and i have to say that you know when i think about uh writing uh, you know lesbian historical romances i always want to end up with one of the women in a riding habit because Horses, riding habits. There's something about riding habits that is just so incredibly sexy, I have to say.
1: It's so true. And the swords. I mean, you know this. You you literally have a swordswoman uh, uh-huh. character. And like, what's better than that? You're going to jump off this horse and defend me with the skill that you learned at great personal physical expense, and it's going to look hot. <laughs> so- I'm slightly shallow. <laughs>
0: Hey, we we both write historical romance. I think that's kind of the definition of shallow in some ways, but (laughs) but, hey. Uh, So how about some uh, upcoming projects that you want to let the listeners know about? I hear a rumor that you might be writing in the Regency again.
1: It is true. I am working on the sequel. It is set in 1824. Uh, so, Harriet and Nora have been married for a minute. Uh, Harriet is now the Lady of Fleming's slightly dilapidated manor in Yorkshire, which is based on Ridley Castle, which looks like a fascinating pile of stone, by the way. And so, they have some changes in their life, and uh, they're having, right now, they're having their Burns Supper, and there are some interesting guests at this Burns Supper, and I particularly wanted to approach in the, uh, the sequel Someone eccentric enough by the standards of those times uh, to be in a relationship with a Jewish woman. Uh-huh. And I wanted to address in the sequel some of the realities, but also the fun and pleasant and lovely parts of being a Jewish person in Regency, England, because we were there. Uh, not in great number, but we were. I'm also working on a short story about Kit Marlowe, where Kit Marlowe just might be a lesbian, because mm. Kit Marlowe is. One of the most irresistible figures in the historic record, and basically the fiction writes itself. Uh, Okay, Um, so
0: how does that work for Kit Marlowe? Because he was notoriously interested in boys.
1: It's true. It's I haven't. This is why the short story is not finished. I I don't want to do any discredit to the dashing Kit of the historical record, and I don't I don't haven't quite figured out how to work it. But you know, it's one of the things I have in the drawer. Did I say the thing about the World War One flying ace? Because there's one of those too. Um, These are all short stories. I actually, I never learned to write a proper transition. So I work a lot in short stories. I'm working on it though. So I want to write a story if I can plausibly get them recruited into the army of a World War I flying ace. And I also want to do lesbian pirates because I feel like lesbian pirates is a high water benchmark to which I want to aspire as an adult writer.
0: Okay. There's certainly a a flourishing subgenre of lesbian pirates. So Janelle, if uh, you're Fans and readers wanted to find you on social media. Where should they look?
1: So I'm on Twitter and WordPress at the same handle, Janelle uh, JanelleWrites. So it's at Janelle JanelleWrites on Twitter and JanelleWrites.wordpress.com. Okay. Facebook? I don't have a Facebook author page yet because as you can tell from my backlist, I took several years off to uh, have a kid and parent that kid. And so the explosion of social media is still a surprise to me, but I'm working <laughs> on it.
0: <laughs> and and I noticed from the your previous publications that it looks like they're a little bit obscure to find currently.
1: Currently currently yes and I'm working on rights management and kindle editions and again all the sorts of things that happened in the 7 to 10 years I wasn't writing that were kind okay. of a surprise.
0: So keep us updated when those are, you know, more easily accessible for people to track down.
1: Oh, totally. Working on it. So I'll
0: add links to all these social media and all of the books that got mentioned in the show to the show notes. And thank you again for joining us at the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon.